Welcome to See You Later, the podcast where we unpack the good and the baggage that comes with growing up as a third culture kid. My name is Caroline Mason, and I am your host and a third culture kid. If the term third culture kid is unfamiliar to you, please refer to the first episode. Now, without further ado, this is See You Later. I'm so glad you're here. joined by the incredible Michelle Phoenix, who is a fellow adult third culture kid and a real advocate for TCKs. Michelle, welcome to see you later. Could you please introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do, etc.? Sure. And incredible might be a bit of an overstatement, <laughs> but thank you for that, for that affirmation in the introduction. Um, mm-hmm. I am Michelle Phoenix. I am a third culture kid. I qualify as a missionary kid. That's what brought me into the third culture world. I am an American, Canadian, and French person. My dad was Canadian. My mom is American. I was born and raised in France. I have three passports. And I spent 20 of my adult years teaching at a school for missionaries kids in Germany called Black Forest Academy. I now run my own ministry that is global, but home base is just outside of Chicago in Illinois, advocating for TCKs and trying to bring education to all of the groups of people who are supposed to care for them well. That's amazing. And it's such needed work as a TCK. I know that I have benefited from your work and that's how I got connected with you is you speaking at a conference. <laughs> that's right. So would you consider your TCKness a real integral part of you? Is that something that you have for a very long time played into or is that something you've kind of kept hidden or what has it looked like for you? Yeah, for a, a lot of years of my life, I considered it to be almost like this extra baggage that I was dragging around, mostly because the baggage was something that I didn't really understand and didn't really know how to weave into the other aspects of who I am. And then as I began to process the baggage, as I began to kind of take it apart bit by bit and realize that a lot of it was actually exceptionally good and that some of it was the harder stuff, um, I began to be able to see it in in a more nuanced way. And it's part of the reason I do what I do. I'm of the firm conviction that if we can address the hard stuff and find at least some measure of healing for the hard stuff, then we look at being a TCK in a whole different light because we can mostly focus on the wonderful that comes from growing up between worlds. Yeah, absolutely. Could you share some of your story with us? Tell me or tell us about your homes, your upbringing, really whatever you would like to share. Yeah. So I was actually born in France. My parents taught at a Bible school just north of Paris that happened to be housed in a castle, in a 17th century castle. Amazing. (laughs) I literally grew up in a castle, which I didn't realize when I was young, when I would say that to my friends in North America, they would immediately think, well, she's too cool for school. So we don't want anything to do with her because she's, you know, a castle person. But it literally was the story of my life. And this is actually an aspect of being a TCK that can get frustrating in that when we report on the reality of our lives, some people will see it as being arrogant or showing off. And it's actually just, this is where I grew up. I went to French schools for the first, uh, up until eighth grade, up through eighth grade. The French school system was really brutal for me. The upside of growing up there is that I was a very sensitive and kind of romantic and creative little girl. So the castle played right into that. The French school system, however, was just really brutalizing. Teachers who 
um, resorted to violence. I mean, physical pain and mm -hmm. threat to make me a better student did not play well on my sensitive little soul. There were several instances of abuse that happened when I was young as well. And of course, that happens in the mission field and off the mission field among TCKs and among monoculturals. Nobody is, is exempt from the vagaries of life and the painful vagaries of life. But the fact that it happened to this little girl whose family was serving God uh, was very confusing to me because I thought that somehow I would be protected because we were doing this higher calling, right, in mm -hmm. life. Um, in ninth grade, I went to attend the Black Forest Academy in Germany. My brother was already there and had begged to go and loved it. I was a homebody who didn't want to go to a boarding school, but my family had to get some help. My parents had to get some help with uh, therapy for their marriage, and so they needed to do something with me. And they figured since my brother was already there, I should go to Black Forest Academy in ninth grade. So picture me, age 14, all alone, uh, placed in a family because there was no room in the dorm for me. And all of a sudden in this brand new environment that I grew to love probably more than any other place on planet Earth. But the transition to boarding school was difficult. And after that first year, my parents actually moved out to right across the border from Germany to Alsace, France. And they started teaching at BFA, so I was able to live at home and just make the commute between France and Germany, which sounds preposterous, um, <laughs> every day. <laughs> and when we were really, you know, on a, on a roll, we would just dip into Switzerland on our way to Germany and get some cheap gas, because that's what you do when you live in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was at BFA. I graduated from there in 1986, went to Wheaton College in Illinois, literally because we only had two official college catalogs in the library at BFA, and I picked the one with the prettiest picture on the front. So <laughs> that is the depth of contemplation and decision-making that went into it. Really repeatedly shot myself in the foot during my college years, starting mm -hmm. with day one, and I got out as fast as I could. I got out in three and a half years, not understanding what was motivating me or the fears that were behind some of my behaviors and my dissociation with the Americans that were in my new community. Then I worked for a year as a screenwriter, which was kind of the ideal job. I had, I had uh, majored in communications and writing, and my job was to write discussion starter videos for youth groups in the style of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which <laughs> most of your listeners probably won't be able to remember who he was, but it was this kind of iconic movie that came out in the 80s. So very quirky, off-the-wall writing. And then I went back to BFA ostensibly to teach, to, no, to work in the communications department there based on my degree. And the minute I got off the plane, I ended up teaching in all kinds of different departments, which I did for the next 20 years without qualification, you know, without the teaching degree. But we all know that on the mission field, your qualification is having a pulse, which I did. <laughs> so, um, so I taught in English and French and music and drama, creative writing, uh, public speaking, all of these things were part of my life for 20 years. And then in 2008, not wanting to bum anybody out, but I got the first of my cancer diagnoses. I've, uh, I'm a three-time survivor now. And I loved so much about my life there. But because of the cancer, I started to consider what do I want to do? If I only have one or two years left in my life, what do I want them to look like? And what kind of legacy do I want to leave behind? I'm a single woman. I have no children my legacy is going to be my life's work. Um, and that's what gave me the courage, the resilience to untangle my roots from German soil and from BFA's location and to begin this ministry that I'm doing today. I started that 
I guess, 14 years ago now, 12 years ago, because it took a while to leave BFA. And uh, it's now a, a work, a job, a calling that takes me around the world doing speaking and writing resources and consulting with families and trying to educate anybody entrusted with caring for MKs about what they need to know to understand TCKs in general, to understand our quirks and our strengths and our challenges and to help us in ways that I was never helped during my growing up years. Yeah. Yeah. I relate to your college experience in the sense I'm graduating in December, so I'm also doing it three and a half years. Well and done. there was yeah, a while ago there was that sense of like, oh, I'm gonna be so relieved to just get out and then now as I'm staring it in the yes. face, it's kinda like, Whoa, why are we doing that? <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was funny that we both yes. did that. I would love to hear a little bit more about your decision to go into ministry. I know that's mm-hmm. very much a mixed bag with missionary kids. Some people yes. are like, I'm going to run the opposite direction. Yeah. Yeah, it was not my plan. Certainly when I made the decision to return to Germany after college, it was supposed to be for a year or two, which felt comfortable enough. It felt like I could go back to a safe place where I knew people, where I could use the years that I had spent as an MK, kind of learning about MKs, I could use them for somebody else's benefit. So making that commitment to one or two years felt comfortable because it was going home for me. And and that may have been the primary Mm -hmm. motivator. I'd like to say that I was called clearly by God, um, (laughs) but there was something really appealing about returning to a place that felt so familiar in a way that I could serve it because it had served me so well. And then year after year, I kept expanding it by a year and two years and three years, 20 years later, I was still there. And I think there are multiple reasons for me to have chosen a life of ministry, the primary being that I really did want to be for those who were in my shoes, who were in this case, literally walking the hallways that I had walked as a teenager. I wanted to be for them what nobody had been for me. The information that we now have about third culture kids was just in its infancy in those days. Dave Pollock came to speak at BFA, I think my senior year. He's the one who, with Ruth Van Rieken, wrote the third culture kid Bible that has just been re-released in recent years, um, a new edition that is more up to date with the digital generation. But there was so little known about us. There was more known about the parents, the missionaries, the third culture workers, adults that were out there but so little known about us and so many assumptions that we somehow were experiencing life and processing life the way the adults were, which is absolutely untrue. And I just wanted to be able to be a voice that would bring some clarity to very murky realities where it relates to MKs and TCKs in general. So I kind of fell into an adult life in ministry. It had not been a goal. In fact, I think you mentioned this, for a lot of us, the goal is to not ever do that kind of mm-hmm. thing because we've seen behind the curtain sometimes. Uh, we might be a little bit cynical about it. We might not want to do the whole support raising business that we've witnessed as children, right? For those missions that do require that kind of monthly donation um, framework for finances. But the more I interacted with these students that I absolutely loved, and the more I saw my experience being useful to them, 
And the ability that I had to interact with their parents and with other adults in that context, the more I thought, you know what, this might be what I'm uniquely equipped for. And really the big move leaving Germany and coming back to the States and then being global from this location was the snowball effect of that original motivation, which was now I've taught for 20 years, these MKs that are in my life. Now I have the motivation to make the most of the years I have left, however many they may be. And so how can my footprint be something even more significant in the way that I'm going to spend my 40s, 50s, and hopefully into the future from here? So yeah, that's a long answer to a short question. Yeah, that's a good answer. though. It's all good stuff. Can you tell me a little bit more about maybe what some of the work you do with TCKs and ATCKs and caregivers looks like? What are those workshops or mm-hmm. conferences or even resources you have? What yeah. does all of that look like? I mean, there's so much. Part of the reason that I can do this is that it isn't a very narrow scope of work. It's a broader scope of work. And that just plays well with my personality. So many things. I, I speak at conferences around the world, whether they be um, missions conferences for you know those biannual or whatever they may be conferences. Speaking with adults, I find it so crucial that the parents of MKs have this information, even sometimes more so than the MKs themselves, because it's the parents who are going to set the standard for how these children are looked at and understood and questioned. So really being able to help them to see their little MKs, the little purple people, as I call them, in a different way (laughs) than they evaluate themselves and the way they're processing living internationally. So I, I do conferences overseas for them. I teach or lead sessions at MK schools, the MK educators who come over who might not be third culture kids themselves might need a little guidance in how to interpret Mm -hmm. what they're seeing in their students and why that's there. I love doing pre-field conferences. I do that for a couple missions before the people go over to work with MKs, educating them about what they're going to see and what it looks like being different from the origin of some of the symptoms they see doing orientations for different colleges. I was part of Wheaton College orientation this year by video, Moody Bible Institute as well. So again, helping these MKs who are in this really pivotal transition of their lives. This is the transition from overseas life to home culture or passport culture, higher education is almost without fail the hardest transition of any TCK's life. Any adult TCK of any age will tell you this was the biggest loss and the biggest transition of their lives. So I love being able to be part of orientations. And then in the summertime, I do two reentry retreats in Canada for Canadian MKs. It's a week-long, in-depth, intensive kind of um, program that helps them to look back at the past, to debrief to acknowledge whatever pain and sadness and loss they are processing, mostly beneath the surface because otherwise it feels too much like a handicap and yet it needs to be addressed, then to give them the skills they need to enter into these new contexts and the understanding of how the North American culture is legitimate. It's not inferior. It's not something to be hated or dismissed. It's something Mm -hmm. to be explored and understood and then send them out into the world at the end of those weeks. But those are the most inspiring part of my ministry, which also includes writing tons of articles on topics that we've traditionally ignored and not wanted to talk about, certainly in the missionary sphere, if not in the whole third culture kids sphere, turning those articles into podcast episodes. My podcast is Pondering Purple, and then consulting with families and missionaries' kids as they reach out to me from wherever they are on the globe for all of its 
horror, the pandemic mm-hmm. did normalize Zooming and Zoom yeah. has become such a great means to interact with these MKs around the world. And because of the pandemic, I think, and you might have noticed this too, there has been an increase in anxiety, especially in young and children on the mission mm-hmm. field and children living cross-culturally. Yeah. And because of the podcast because they hear their parents listening to the podcast wherever they are. These children now are asking if they can talk to Miss Michelle. I love that they call me Miss Michelle. <laughs> and and just kind of process some of what they're going through from that purple perspective that is so hard for monocultural people to understand. So it's all of that plus more. You know, just 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 that. Just that. <laughs> yes. Again, I said incredible at the beginning because I really, really did mean it and that is a great <laughs> synopsis of that. <laughs> You mentioned monocultural a second ago. I would love to hear you explain some of the main differences you've observed between TCKs or ATCKs and their monocultural peers. I know that your website slash blog has incredibly insightful articles that I've passed on to others. They've helped me understand myself a little bit better. So I just thought you'd be a perfect person to explain some of those differences. The first thing I want to do is not dismiss monocultural people at all. I think there's a tendency in our community to consider them less than, to consider that they don't have anything to teach us. We don't have anything to, this is so self-centered, we don't have anything to benefit from them, so why would we associate with them? This is what got me through college in such a horrible way for two and a half years. (laughs) So I I, want to begin by saying that no upbringing is less than another, and that Mm -hmm. as a multicultural person, what I am learning from the monocultural people in my life is invaluable. And it has to do with long-term relationships, which I didn't experience growing up the way I did. It has to do with stability and a sense of belonging and connection with generations within families that I never experienced as well. And this expertise about the culture that they live in that is so valuable to me and that is a benefit that I derive from spending time with them. But beyond all of that, just the fact that they are human beings created in God's image who are in relationship with me, we're mutual relationships serving each other and learning from each other. And there is a richness, a wealth of gain, I hope in both directions from being in relationship with people who are not multicultural. So to begin with, I would say that the other difference is that traditionally a monocultural person will have a narrower understanding of life or perspective on life because what they have seen is their town or city maybe their state maybe their county whatever it is that they have steeped in for the entirety of their lives this is the world through which they understand existence right and for missionaries kids and third culture kids our world is much vaster which sounds like a great thing and it is a great thing it is wonderful that when i'm watching the news i can actually see a place and immediately be brought back to the sounds and the smells and the tastes and the experience Mm -hmm. of being there, that full-bodied understanding of geography, right? I love that. It also means that I have no sense of full understanding of any specific place to the point where it feels like my my home, homiest of homes, you know, that this is my place of belonging. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one of the major differences that I see between monocultural and multicultural people. There are advantages to each one of those points of view and worldviews. 
And there are disadvantages to each one of them too. And I think it's too easy in the MK or third culture world for us to look down on people who don't have that full-bodied understanding of other places. And yet they are so ingrained and meshed, rooted in their communities and their life and their history because they've been in the same place for so long that there really truly is a benefit to being a monocultural in that way. We also tend to be dissatisfied with staying put for too long, which in one sense, again, is a plus. That means that we flit around more than our average monocultural peers would. And there are benefits to that. Again, seeing more, experiencing more, uh, growing and understanding of other things. The downside of it is that a lot of times that impacts the way we make relationships, if we even make really deep-rooted relationships, because we know that we're going to be pulling up those roots again in short order. It comes into play a lot of times when a third cultured person marries a monocultured person and the third culture person after two or three years says, okay, what's our next adventure? Where are we going next? What new world are we going to discover? And the other person might be the type who says, you know what? I'm perfectly comfortable staying right here where my parents and my grandparents and my great grandparents are, where there is history and this, and this sense of deep rooted belonging. So for all of our differences, there are flip sides, there are advantages and disadvantages to each. I would say that Certainly in the marketplace, TCKs are sought after. Big companies and small companies alike are, if you put that on your resume, they are looking to hire TCKs because of our world experience, because of how it has shaped our ability to adapt to different places and environments, because it makes us so flexible, because we kind of have this gut level radar that helps us to understand new contexts and to kind of find our way into them to morph into what we need to be. Uh, we also have a broader view of some issues that other people wouldn't have. So we've seen things done differently in other cultures where it actually works. We have an ability to build bridges, again, because of this ability to understand people and meet them where they are and gently draw them to understand a broader view on a lot of things in life. We do have definite advantages and strengths that come from growing up as we did. And we also lack some of the beauty and richness of having been in one place for all our lives. What are some of the most common unaddressed issues you see in older TCKs? The older TCKs are one of the main motivating forces in what I do because I ache for them. Because so much of what they're still either consciously or subconsciously dealing with could have, maybe should have been addressed earlier, but we just didn't have the words to wrap around it in these older generations of MKs. The most common things that I see are this lack of belonging and how that reflects on their sense of self and even worthiness. Mm-hmm. And what I try to turn it around to in, in my sessions with younger MKs on this and even older older MKs is to see it not as a lessness, but as a superpower. Because I mostly belong, I can mostly belong in France and Germany and Canada and the United States. I have these abilities that I derive from that that are so much greater in kind of in what they bring to my life and the life of others than the fact that there's no place where I fully belong. And I will always grieve Mm -hmm. that because we are made for belonging. We are made for this intimate connection with place and people. 
And at the same time, if we don't have all of that, we have gained this other ability that is so useful and enriching to other people's lives. So lack of belonging and how that reflects on our self-understanding and our self-assessment is huge. You mentioned, um, I think before, that there's grief that's involved in the in the TCK lifestyle. Certainly the number yeah. of goodbyes we say, mm-hmm. the number of transitions we make, every transition is grief in itself. It mm-hmm. is embodied grief when we transition. Yeah. And we don't make minor transitions. A lot of the times the transitions we make are huge and that unaddressed grief is going to affect how we make relationships. Um, So all of these kind of are connected. The unbelonging, which is a form of grief, the transition, which add to the mountain of grief. And then um, this way that we enter into relationships that is unusual in most monocultural settings, really intense, really fast, breakneck speed because we don't know when one of us is going to have to leave, right? So we want to maximize however small amount of time we have. All three of those things, as you can imagine, if they're, if they become part of our functioning in our young years, in our teen years, and we continue them throughout life, they're going to have some repercussions that are unintended and would be preventable were we aware of the forces that are behind behind our behaviors. So those are the three, I think, most acute needs for older MKs that I've seen in them. Understanding the unbelonging, processing grief that has accumulated over so many years, and then understanding how different people do relationships differently. And we, as the flexible, adaptable people, are the ones who need to change the way we do things in order to make friendships the way this culture does. And it feels like getting too shallow, if I can use that word. It feels like being too passive in the relationship-making process and yet it's what guarantees that we will make friends with people who are not like us and mutually share each other's richness and strength down the road. And I'll I'll just add this, it's on my mind because I just released a new article and podcast about trauma in the life of MKs and the repeated losses, the sense of unbelonging, sometimes being put on the back burner for the sake of the really important work parents are doing, sometimes that can actually process as trauma. So when I talk about unresolved grief or unassessed grief or unprocessed grief in older MKs, sometimes it actually is in the form of trauma. Yeah, I absolutely relate to the building relationships Mm -hmm. thing of just like you were diving at head first Mm -hmm. and then there's reciprocation and there's confusion. Yes. For two of my college years, I was really, really blessed to have a friend from Hungary, actually, who's also a TCK um, as my roommate, and which is hilarious because yeah. there's only, I think, maybe five TCKs on my whole campus. Oh, like, wow. <laughs> but you found each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we've been friends for a long time. And so we would talk about this because we just started reevaluating yeah. what a deep friendship was because yes. we were thinking about it and we're like, we're okay, we were in this TCK community and yeah. those friendships felt so deep. Yes. So then we were wondering, is it just because they were TCKs? Yes. Like, what is it? friendship because then we're here and we're trying to build these relationships and it just doesn't feel the same and and our tck relationships are insta deep right they go deep yes so fast and the thing is i've been here long enough now to know that monocultural relationships can get there too but where it takes us four weeks it's going to take them four years but it's worth Mm -hmm. it it is so worth it to commit Mm -hmm. to the long play and get to the point where these relationships are what we're looking for yeah for sure so you mentioned trauma is one thing and just something that you know is a little more hidden what would you say to the ATCK who's maybe unpacking some childhood baggage and wants to bring their parents into that conversation yeah number one kudos 
it mm-hmm. is so important at any age to bring parents who have been parts of our life in influential ways to bring them into our processing. So it's not easy, but it is so, it's so healing. And I was actually just maybe a month ago speaking at a conference in Canada, in Guelph, Ontario, to a bunch of career missionaries. And after I was finished speaking there on PCK and MK issues, several of them wrote to me to say, you know what, we've just reached out to our children about some of what you Mm -hmm. talked about. And we have found a degree of understanding and healing that we didn't even know we needed mm-hmm. until we brought up those topics. So that, that MKs themselves would bring it to their parents, I think is so important. I would say it's never too late. Some of what we've experienced and some of what we still carry within us feels like it's kind of calcified over time. So I don't really need to do the work of bringing it back to the surface again. I'm here to tell you that it's still breathing down there beneath the surface somewhere <laughs> and it's okay and good to bring it to the surface. Sometimes it's difficult to just sit down with mom and dad or with whoever else, whatever else, other adult of influence we're addressing. So what I recommend sometimes in those cases, if it's hard to do it just verbally sitting across from them, is to write it down, to write a document, not too long, that kind of expresses clearly what it is that you're wanting to say to them and even what you would like to hear back from them. And then not to mail it to them or email it to them. I I found that to be more harmful than helpful. But if you're sitting in the same room with them, to hand them that piece of paper and have them read it in the same room and then engage after that. So it kind of breaks the ice to write it down first. And then for MKs who do have kind of heavy duty trauma that they need to bring up with their parents, if it's difficult for them to do it alone, to bring a third party into it. So I have frequently been asked, not frequently, I have on multiple occasions been asked to step in in this role to to be the person in the room with MK and parents and to say, you know, so-and-so really wants you to know this about him or her, but the words are really difficult to put to it right now, at least to start putting words to it. So I'm just going to tell you in general that this is what they experienced. And then from there to help the parents and the TCK to start talking to each other about it with me in the room. And then I can step out of the conversation once it's been initiated. So sometimes it does take that third party because, and this is one of those aspects of specifically the MK part of the TCK world, is that there is so much shame around needing anything, around admitting that we're struggling, around showing our wounds to the world because of these unspoken massive shoulds, because you're an MK, you should be stronger than that, be more mature than that, be your faith should be better than that. And so we feel that by just putting words to some of the hard stuff, we're actually shaming ourselves and maybe even our parents, maybe even their ministry, because we're not living up to these ridiculous shoulds that too often are stifling what we actually need to ask for. Yeah, I know this is something I have been learning about in recent years, and it's Mm -hmm. something I know you know my mom, but I've had a lot of conversations with her specifically mm-hmm. just about the way we did things as a family. And our family wasn't yeah. the type of family where we did ministry as a unit. Yeah. It was very much parents are missionaries, yes. kids just kind of go along. Yes. And that brought with it all kinds of different things. That's so cool. anyways, we've just grown up yeah. and I had conversations with my siblings and then also um, with more my mom than my yeah. dad. And and what have been the benefits of that? How has that helped your family? I think a deeper understanding of one another part of it has also yeah. been me learning their heart and, yes. you know, realizing like, oh, that wasn't intentional. Yeah. You know, that was just, yeah. 
an accident or an overlooking not that that's justified but Mm -hmm. it's more of a okay you know i Mm -hmm. see that so new perspective but then also just opening avenues for healing and again depth of conversation so i'm in therapy currently which is wonderful i I plan on being in it for the rest of my life (laughs) it's just good practice (laughs) yeah but that's been something too that's helped me be like hey mom there's this thing that i didn't really realize i needed to unpack but like I think this is something important to address. And part of it for me is now I have a nephew and another one on the way. So even looking at my sister, who is a TCK and is now raising this Mm -hmm. monocultural kiddo and another one on the way, just conversations about parenting Mm -hmm. have come up a lot. And as an aunt, just kind of being around and helping watch him, that's something that's naturally arisen. And that's just made me think like, oh, you know, how do we do this? So important. I'm not parenting my nephew, yeah. <laughs> but it's just resulted in group conversations yeah. with um, my yeah. sister and my mom. And and even the way it plays out in terms of self-defense, if we're exposed to things that are hard for us as a child, we're going to figure out ways of protecting ourselves. And mm-hmm. once we start talking about these things with the people who were involved, we don't have to defend ourselves as much. We don't have to have this, I'm thinking in French, this carapace, this, um, yeah. this shell around us protecting us anymore. We can yes. actually be more mm-hmm. vulnerable once we've brought into the light the misunderstandings and the harm, the, the hurt that has happened, probably going both directions, and acknowledge that life was not perfect, but the future is full of healing and hope. And we can claim that mm-hmm. together once we've talked about things together. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you protect your heart and your mind as you work with TCKs as a TCK yourself I don't know if that's something you if you dealt with any re-traumatization or just discussions or I know you said you're yeah. in therapy I'm just curious yeah. your kind of what has your healing or habits looked like in that yeah. regard yeah um, I, I would say that therapy is as I said before is just it's it's a good practice to if you can afford it to involve in your life for all kinds of reasons I just think and maybe especially for a single woman um, who doesn't have a sounding board to have somebody to go to and to talk to and to feel safe just revealing all that muck that the shoulds would tell me not to reveal so I'm a big fan of therapy as far as how I interact with MKs and missionary families who are struggling and how that impacts me. In my early years, it really did. When I was a teacher at BFA in those early years, I felt like I needed to do something to help, not something to help, something to resolve Mm -hmm. the issue. And what I've learned over all these years, maturity does come with age when all goes well. What I've learned over all these years is that I might be just one tiny piece of the journey towards healing that these families and their children are on. And I don't have to be the solution to their problem. I can walk alongside them for the amount of time that I am given. I can try to speak with as much wisdom and honesty and helpfulness as I can. And if they're still in a broken state when I lose contact with them or when you know the week of reentry seminar is over and they move on into the rest of their lives, if I can look back and say that I was faithful during that time that I was allotted with how I interacted with them and my heart for them and how I tried to help, I've got to be okay with that. And then God is so much bigger than just me and he will pass the baton to somebody else in the next phases of their lives. Mm-hmm. So that's been, it's been self-care actually for me as well to reach that conclusion. 
because for a long time I felt like I I need to stay embedded in the lives of these these four MKs. Miss Phoenix will not stop writing to me um, <laughs> that I needed to stay in their lives if anything good was going to come. You know, if they were going to be able to heal. And now now I have this much clearer understanding, and my goodness, much humbler understanding that. For such a time as this, this is the role that I was given. And when that time ends, God's got it. And I can move on to whoever else comes into my, my life next. Not advocating for cutting ties with people who have been meaningful in our lives at all. I think that's one thing that we MKs do well is reconnect really quickly with people we haven't seen in a long time, but not feel like I have to be, like they have to be dependent on me to do well in the future. God's got them and I'll do my part when I have my part to do. What advice would you give to younger TCKs or even your younger self? Yeah. So the image in my mind, when I try to imagine this people group that I serve is a child standing in an open field. And in one hand, I'll call her a she, in one hand, she's holding this huge bunch of helium balloons. And her other hand is padlocked or chained to an anvil. The anvil is what they throw on the roadrunner in the old cartoons, this huge metallic thing that is so heavy and so hard to lift. And I feel like so many MKs are kind of in that tension between the wonderful and the hard. And the wonderful is so real. There is so much that I value in my life today because my parents were missionaries and because I grew up between worlds in that context of ministry. There was so much wonderful. But in too many cases, we are so anchored to that anvil that we can't really flourish in the great stuff because we haven't identified the hard stuff. So my recommendation to MKs and to their families is, yes, celebrate, point out, make make much of the wonderful, and at the same time, be really intentional in exploring what is inside that anvil, what the weight and darkness is inside that anvil, so that it can lighten enough for the MK to step towards the wonderful. There will always be in any life, there is always something that we need to process, and specifically in the missionary world, going back to those shoulds, there is this unspoken requirement that we not admit to the bad or hard or difficult to process stuff. And I am a big advocate of drag it into the light, shed some sunlight on it, process it together, figure out if it's real or if it's a misunderstanding, figure out what therapy or what other kind of help it needs, sometimes just saying the words will release that chain that is tying us to the anvil of our past. Just putting words to it can be a liberating thing. So when I speak with families, the the props that I use, and I know you're familiar with these, is, is two rubber duckies. One that's decorated with flowers and sunshine and whatever, and one that's kind of dark and ugly. <laughs> and for the family from a very young age, for the sake of the parents and the sake of the children, to be able to hold one duck in each hand and each member of the family say, today my yuck was this, that's the yuck duck, and today my yay was this, that's the yay duck, because it takes a pair of ducks to define a pair of ducks. <laughs> um, and then from such a young age, to be able to address both the anvil and the balloons allows us to really step forward in a healthy, in a healthy way with full understanding of the great and the not so great that we have inherited by virtue of being born into a multicultural family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a really beautiful image. And I 
I think you were the first person I heard describe grief as an anvil. And I remember mm. seeing that on a PowerPoint slide and I was like, yeah. whoa. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't have to be, you know, that's mm. the thing. It doesn't have to be. But as mm. long as we ignore it or try to minimize it, I believe that minimizing it actually makes it grow bigger and yeah. and more toxic. So yeah, just mm. addressing the hard stuff so that everybody knows it's there. It gets kind of normalized. It can be treated. And then we can focus on the wonderful, which is just innumerable. Yeah. Also, as you were talking about props, I remembered that at that last conference you were at, mm-hmm. you gave our little small group luggage tags. There were little yes. little leather luggage tags, and I still have mine you on really? my bag. Yes, I, I do. I love that. Thank you, Amazon, for getting those to me the day I yes. got on the plane. <laughs> I love it. It's my little teal leather uh, luggage tag, and I feel so fancy with it. But yeah, I think about you when I fly. I'm like, so great. I should get some custom ones made that have little rubber duckies on them. (laughs) That would be amazing. So, to close out this conversation, this episode, I would love to hear your culture shock moment that you want to share with us. Yeah, the the only one that comes to mind goes way back to when I left the French school system and moved to BFA to an American Christian missionary school in Germany. And I had grown up in the French system where it was understood that cheating was okay. Cheating in school was okay. In fact, it was kind of a higher social rank. The the good cheaters were respected both by the students and by the teachers. The teachers were impressed if you could get away with it. They knew you were cheating because you were getting hundreds on tests that you were not supposed to get hundreds on. But so I, I grew up thinking that this was a really good way to enter a new social environment was to be the best cheater. And there was no concept of right and wrong or of morality. It was just one of those French things. So then I moved to this school in Germany, surrounded by other missionary kids and teachers who were believers and who had a strong sense of right and wrong. And I thought that to make my entrance noticeable, I should let them know that I was a really good cheater. So on the first Bible memorization (laughs) test, I had, I mean, I had the notes down my sleeves and in my shoes and in my, my, I'm aging myself in my pencil, whatever it is, pencil thing on my desk. And, and I told all my friends afterwards how successfully I, I had managed to cheat. And I quickly discovered that in one culture, what is right in one culture and acceptable and, and laudable in one culture is certainly not necessarily in another. Mm-hmm. And I had to go see the principal. Oh, no. <laughs> but in my little MK mind, because I was just absorbing things from the French culture, mm-hmm. not questioning anything, in my little mind, I thought, I thought that was perfectly legitimate. I had never even thought thought to compare it to, you know, biblical standards. <laughs> That's so interesting. Yeah, I've never even, I mean, I've, I've heard similar stories, but specifically with academic cheating, that's a really funny, I can imagine you just being like, wait a minute, what? Why are people turning on me? I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> like, you did what? And you're like, what do you mean? It's like the one tool in my, in my social arsenal and people are turning on me. <laughs> yeah, you really went all out there. I did. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing that and for sharing your story and your insight. This has been a really, really fun time to just hear your heart. And again, I'm so grateful for the work you do, and I have for sure benefited I from love it. That. Is there anything you want to promote or mention? Website, social media, maybe upcoming projects? 
Um, nothing real specific. Everything is on michellephoenix.com, Michelle with one L, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, phoenix.com. The big project that I mentioned earlier about MKs and trauma is really heavy on my mind right now because of various negative outcomes that I've known in a couple of the MKs that I've worked mm -hmm. with. So I really would encourage people, even if you're not MKs or TCKs, the article really outlines the physical consequences of trauma on the physical brain of the person who has experienced that kind of pain or suffering or whatever it might be. So that was that would be the one thing. It's it's available. It's my last episode on my podcast and on my blog on my website. And if anybody is interested at all in the ramifications of trauma um, for MKs and non-MKs, I think it's it's a really good primer on the topic and offers some suggestions as to how to be the person caring for or loving the person who is just realizing that they've been through trauma. Yeah, I know. I will definitely be checking that out. So. Thank you. It's been so much fun. Thank you for inviting me on. Of course. Thank you for being here. And everyone else, as always, see you later. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of See You Later. I hope this conversation reminded you of something you can now go unpack or made you feel less alone or maybe just made you laugh. It is an absolute joy to know the incredible humans featured on this podcast, and I hope you feel as honored as I do to be led into their stories. If you're interested, you can check out the show notes for any resources mentioned in the episode. Thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. And as always, see you later.